Diplomacy Bible. I'm Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and excited to, to have the privilege to preach each week. And um, so, thanks. It's, it's, a, it's a huge privilege to me. Um, hey, before we get going, the one thing I want to remind you of, I mentioned last Sunday during the message that uh, we had some tickets to go up and see uh, Vertical Church Band along with uh, Paul Balash and James McDonald. A lot of the songs we sing are, are written by them. And uh, that's February, or February, March 8th. It's a Wednesday at 7 p.m. And I think we had 29 people sign up last week. So we ordered more tickets. And uh, we have, I think, 11 or 12 still available. If you want to go, we'd love for you to come. It'll be a fun evening. And the cost of the tickets are $15. It's a little bit of a discount from what we get them at. And uh, we just, if you can't afford $15, please let us know. We'd love for you to come along. So it'll be a great evening together on Wednesday, March 8th. So hope you can join us. And if you can't, that's okay too, but we'd love for you to come along if you want to. Um, We're in a series. Today we wrap up a series called A Generous Life. A Generous Life. And uh, living a life that's generous because Jesus is generous to us. And we talked about a lot of things over the last four weeks. Uh, we've, we've looked at this journey of a generous life, and undergirding all of it is, uh, is really two principles. One, uh, that God loves a cheerful giver, right? Uh, he, he loves a cheerful giver, and if, if you don't want to give, don't give. But the other one uh, that really even precedes that is when Jesus teaches and, and talks to us and convicts us about our things, about our stuff, he doesn't want our stuff. He wants your heart. He's coming after your heart because what we do with our stuff demonstrates where our heart is. Jesus wants your heart. And uh, so wherever you're at on that journey, um, we we kind of have identified five different levels of generosity. Uh, Starting out with a beginning giver. They're just beginning to give. Um, Maybe that's you. I've talked to a few of you where you've you've never really had the opportunity to give uh, consistently before or really in any way. And you're like, especially some young, young kids and Hey, this is my chance to begin giving and start the journey. That's a great thing. Maybe it's a consistent giver. It's not just beginning to give, but then, uh, doing it regularly beyond that then is the step towards a tithing giver and a tithing giver is giving of their first fruits, 10% uh, to the Lord of, of, of what they've been given by him. And again, we talked about it. If you can't do 10%, start somewhere and give that regularly, a certain percentage to the Lord. And then beyond a tithing giver, an expanding giver, somebody who's giving not just in terms of their tithe, but they're giving to needs as they arise. And they're, they're giving uh, of their time and their talent and treasure uh, toward, toward whatever the Lord puts in front of them. And then finally, an extravagant giver, someone who's living just a radically generous life with all of their resources. And I always think it'd be fun someday to be such an extravagant giver that I could get to the point of giving a reverse tithe where I give 90% and keep 10. Wouldn't that be cool? And, uh, uh, that's my heart. I just, God has given these things to us. And we use this imagery of, of all that he's given. A lot of times we just want to hang on to it like this, but he says, no, you need to release it and be willing to give. And the curious thing is that when I do that, this is also a posture of not only giving, but receiving. And that as I give, God tends to give more because he trusts me not to have sticky hands. Right? Well, this morning, as we wrap up the series, we've talked about all those types of givers. We're going to look at a psalm. 
a psalm that really speaks of God's generosity. And it's Psalm 65. Psalm 65, if you want to turn there, you can now. And uh, we'll be there in a moment. But, you know, if you've ever listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio, anybody ever heard him on the radio? Whenever somebody calls in and they say, hey, how you, he says, how you doing? He says, yeah, how are you doing? D- Ramsey's response is always, do you know it? Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. And, and that's the title of the message this morning. And I think we see that in this psalm. Uh, often when I dwell on that statement, better than I deserve, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of what I deserve. God's judgment. I, I deserve his punishment for my sin, his wrath to be poured out on me. We, I, I, just, I easily forget how sinful I am at the very core of my being. And that discounts the price When I don't remember how sinful I am in the sense of knowing how great his grace is, I don't recognize how great his grace is to me. And Psalm 103.10 is a great encouragement. It says, the psalmist writes, God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Isn't that a good thing? God hasn't dealt with me according to my sins. If he had, I'd be toast a long time ago. But thankfully, he gave all of that, put all of that wrath on Jesus on the cross. And with that in mind, remembering that this morning, we're going to go through this psalm together, remembering Jesus' great generosity, that God shows great mercy to us by pouring all of his wrath that I deserve onto Jesus on the cross so that I could have his life. Amen? Let me pray, and then we're going to walk through the text together of Psalm 65. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And uh, thank you for your grace to us through him and your mercy to us. And Lord, that, that you treat us, um, as we've said already, way better than we deserve through Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, this morning, would you remind us of that truth as uh, we, we wrap up this series on generosity? Uh, might this be a, a message and a truth that's motivating to us to be more generous, to take some next steps on that journey of being generous? And um, Father, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, Uh, He would love to twist your word to accuse us, to divide us. Uh, But instead, Holy Spirit, would you uh, clear my mind and teach too and through me even as I teach? And Jesus, might you be honored. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 65. So if you've got Psalm 65 open, it's going to be up on the screen too. We'll work through it, but it starts off, there's kind of a heading to it, and it says this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. A song, that's what psalms are. They're songs, literally the book of songs. And this song is one that's written by, who's it written by? Who would you guess? Look at it. David. It's a psalm of David. David wrote it. And this is a psalm David wrote uh, for the harvest festivals. One of the harvest festivals, likely, most, most scholars agree. And uh, it's written to celebrate God's great provision to them. And it's written uh, to, to also bless the Lord in that and then trust him for greater provision in the future. That sounds similar to kind of a journey we're on together as a church, doesn't it? Remembering God's grace to us 30 years ago in the past, planting our church and trusting him for 30 more into the future on this 30 for 30 journey as we look to renovate pieces of our facility. But in this song, David declares that God hears our prayers. He atones for our sin. And he, that provision results in great bounty for us. And it's a great, great thing. So let's start working through this psalm. And what I want you to see, I want you to keep in mind, is that through the whole thing, God provides for us and deals with us way better than we deserve. 
way better than we deserve. Starting in verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God. In Zion and to you shall vows be performed. Literally, this could, your translation might even say praise awaits you or praise awaits you in silence. In other words, all of our vows, all of our worship, everything is due to the Lord. We, we owe it all back to him because ultimately it's all his that we have. Amen. And this is a call to worship. It's a call for everybody to participate. And he, he continues on, David, as he says, oh, you, God, who hear prayer. Who hear prayer. Isn't that a great truth? That our God hears prayer. Do you believe that? That when you pray, it's not just like words floating off and bouncing off the ceiling, but but the Lord actually hears your prayer. Um, Now, sometimes it may not feel like he hears them. Sometimes he's testing us and he's wanting us to grow in our faith. But he hears you. He hears every prayer you pray. And uh, the, the key in a lot of ways is for you to pray with faith trusting that that's true, trusting that he hears and seeking him with your whole heart. The Lord says, uh, those who would seek me with their whole heart, they will find me. Seek him, pray to him, he hears you. And he says to this, to you, the one who hears our prayer, uh, to you all flesh shall come. You know, that reminds me of another passage of scripture. Uh, Paul in Philippians says that one day every knee will bow. He says, therefore, as God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To you, the psalmist writes, all flesh will come. All flesh. You know, here's the scary part of this, though, is when Paul writes that and he says that uh, every knee will bow, Every tongue will confess. Um, Today is the day of salvation, he writes to the Corinthians. Today is the day where you can choose to worship him on your own. You can choose to make that confession today of your own volition. But guess what? There's coming a day where every knee will bow. All flesh shall come to him. Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, President Trump, everyone will bow their knee before Jesus Christ and declare him to be Lord. Make no mistake, so will you and I. The key is you have the choice to do it today. You have the choice to do it today. I hope you do. Because those who are forced to later, um, it doesn't end well for them. It's a reminder, um, before we ever get into this psalm, that God's in control. That all men answer to him. We all, all men need him. And now look at verse 3. David writes, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. David recognizes the fact that all, every knee is going to bow before the Lord. But you know what? I, I, I deserve hell. My iniquities prevail against me. I, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned in big ways against him. And I deserve hell. Josh Wyland is a sinner and I deserve to be punished eternally in hell. Suffering God's wrath for my sin. David recognizes this about himself too. But there's a great piece at the end of the line, isn't there? That you, you atone for my transgressions. Atonement. I wonder if maybe this psalm was written um, for one of the festivals of harvest that was kicked off by the day of atonement. And that's what uh, David has in mind here. That God atones for my sin. The atonement, a good way to remember what it means is at one mint. That's how I, I, I'm weird the way I think of stuff and remember things. At one mint. 
And it's just when I'm made at one again with the Lord because my sin is dealt with. See, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take, you can read about it in Leviticus, he would take two lambs. And the first lamb he would pray and put his hands on and symbolically put all of the sin of all of the people confessed on this lamb. And then you know what they would do? They would slaughter it. They would drain its blood and sacrifice it to the Lord. And everyone would have a very, uh, can you imagine if I did that this morning? Like what a visual you would have of how God wants to deal with sin. But then he grabbed another lamb. Maybe the priest all stained with the blood of the first one. And that lamb was the lamb of propitiation. He took the penalty, the wrath of God. And this other lamb would have been the lamb of expiation. And you might know it as the scapegoat. And on the scapegoat, he'd do the same thing. He'd pray and confess all the sins and symbolically lay them on this lamb. And then they would chase it out of town. They'd chase it out of town. And if it started coming back, they'd chase it farther, never to return. Jesus is the lamb of God who who pays the penalty for my sin on the cross, but he's also the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, And he atones for my sin. Isn't that a great truth? That that while my iniquities prevail against me, because I'm a sinner, I mess up, Jesus atones for my sin. That's the gospel. That's why we're here. And if that's not true, let's pack it up now. Right? That's a great spot for an amen. Amen? Amen. Now, look at what he goes on to say. Blessed is the one that you choose, Lord, that you bring near. See, the, the truth is that before I ever loved God, Romans 5, 8, that he first loved me. That while I was still his enemy, still against him, Jesus died on the cross for me. That he chose me to be his own. He chose you to be his own. If you've never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus, maybe the Lord is drawing your heart today and he's choosing you to be his own. Blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple, David writes. The goodness of your house. I wonder... uh, He's talking about the Lord's temple, but literally just being with the Lord, being in his presence, being in his courts, like we sang earlier. Um, I wonder, I think of my own house when I think about it. What's my house like? What's your house like? Some days there's peace. Some days there's strife. Some days a little bit of everything. In the Lord's house, there's goodness. It's full of joy and peace, something we all long for. Would you turn to him? There's holiness The holiness of his temple will satisfy us. God's very nature, God himself, Jesus himself will satisfy us. And friends, Jesus is the only one who satisfies. We're talking about generosity, but your stuff, have you learned this yet? Uh, You'll probably learn it again if you haven't. If you're like me, you learn it more than once. Your stuff does not satisfy. Your relationships do not satisfy. Your sin does not satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. Speaking of our sin, the writer of Hebrews says that our sin, and all of these things, like our sin, it's a fleeting pleasure. Look what he says. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, your stuff, your sin, your relationships, are those enjoyable? Are they enjoyable? You wouldn't sin if you didn't enjoy it, Right? And, and your, your stuff, it's, it's good things that God's given to you, in part, as we'll see this morning, to enjoy. Um, but it's a joy that's fleeting. It flees. 
The only enduring joy is Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him? In the end, he gives rewards. So what are you living for? So here's the first thing I remember uh, as I look at this, this psalm and thinking how God treats me better than I deserve. We've already covered the fact I deserve hell. And he forgives my sin better than I deserve. Amen? He forgives your sin better than you deserve because I don't deserve to be forgiven. Especially I, I go to him, I confess sin to him, and then uh, what do I do again? <laughs> I sin. Now, by God's grace, I'm growing in holiness, but I'm far from there. He forgives me way better than I deserve. He forgives my sin. And the thing I want you to think about is that's part of God's generosity to you. So maybe as you start to compare that to your own life and, and your, your time, your talent, your resources, if, if your sin, which is all, can be all-consuming, can't overwhelm you because of Jesus' blood on the cross, then think you surely can, can manage your time, talent, and treasure in a way that honors him by his grace. The second thing I see, not only God forgives my sin, but he answers my prayers better than I deserve. We've already seen this, but he hears our prayers. He hears you when you pray. That's a great, great truth. Look at, look at how uh, David talks about how God answers and hears. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas. He's describing God now. The roaring of their waves, the tumult of the people, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit and go back to verse 5. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. The key part I want you to see here is he answers us. He answers us better than we deserve. Specifically with righteousness. In a right way. With, with, with purity, with, with perfection, God answers. He answers. And... Um, Look at David's description then of this God who answers us. David's excited because God answers, and then he starts to describe who this God is. First off, he says, the God of our salvation. He's our only hope, right? We already saw this. He forgives us better than we deserve. And then he calls him the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Think of Abby and Fred up here a little while ago heading to some of the farthest seas from us, taking Jesus, their hope, with them. Isn't that great truth? And, and he's the hope of the ends of the earth. Of the earth. God's hope, his salvation is for all people. In, in Joel, he writes this in chapter 2, and it's quoted in Acts at, at Pentecost. It shall come to pass, <coughs> excuse me, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Romans ten thirteen says, will be saved. This is why missions is important, why it's important for us to send Fred and Abby out. And it's important for us not only to do missions over there, but right here. And to be involved in outreach in our community and uh, doing whatever we can to reach as many as we can with the truth of the gospel. That we'd be a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody. Amen? And that's who we need to be. Because he is, as David writes, the hope of the ends of the earth. 
And by the way, <clears throat> you, you, sometimes you might feel like you, you see Fred and Abby or someone else up here, and they're heading out and they're going somewhere, and you go, man, I wish I had that kind of faith to just go out. I, I, I feel like I'm kind of a loser Christian because I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor. I'm not. That's nonsense, right? You're a missionary. God sent you exactly right here to northern Indiana. And I hate to tell you this, but to some people, this is the ends of the earth. I have friends who live in the city, and I tell them that my, my church that I go to and that I pastor is surrounded by cornfields on all sides. And they go, you're at the ends of the earth. Listen, don't be intimidated by that. God hasn't made a mistake in putting you right here. Serve him where he has you. Amen? The only one, David writes, continuing to describe him, who by his strength established the mountains. Okay, now this is getting cool. The one who hears me, who who forgives my sin, established the mountains. He's girded with great might. That's awesome. Let me ask you, how many mountains have you established? Right? Maybe you've built a few sandcastles when you were a kid. Maybe you've even uh, dug up some dirt around your house or done something. Uh, Kent Sawyer would probably have built the biggest mountains, established more mountains than anybody here in his excavating business. And, but nobody else, I, don't th- I, haven't, I haven't made any mountains, have you? The one who hears your prayer established the mountains. Now, I don't know about you, but I learned in, I learned in, uh, in school, in physical science class, that there's tectonic plates that go around the earth and they push and they push the mountains up. Do you hear all this? That's great. That could be true. It's a very realistic explanation of how. But um, who moved the plates? <laughs> who moved the plates? Oh, God did. He's girded with strength. Right? He hears your prayer. Why don't you pray to him? He, look, at, look at what else. He stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Think about that. God stills the roaring seas. Uh, Not by waiting for it to calm down, but Jesus, if you go read in Mark 4, he's out on the lake and the storm comes up and they're in the boat. And what does he say? He gets up and uh, I think I kind of picture him getting himself together. He's like, peace, be still. And what happens? Immediately it's still. The boats are probably still rocking, but the waves are still. Now, have you ever tried to do that? Like there's there's no way I could still, I can't still coffee in my coffee cup. Next time you go get a cup of coffee, swirl it around a little bit, and then try to just make it instantly stop moving. Now, if you can't stop the waves in your coffee cup, um, wouldn't it be cool to pray to the one who can stop the waves in the ocean? And he calms the tumult of the people. Maybe the waves in your life are dealing with certain people. The Lord can calm those waves. And maybe, maybe he's not going to calm those people, but he can calm the waves in your heart, Right? sometimes you just have to go through the storm, but he can keep the storm calm in you. That's a great thing. So anyway, try that with your coffee later. Just uh, don't let Jody see you because she'll be cleaning the carpet after you're done. I guess my, he goes on then. Um, so those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. Before we even go on, I just ask, you know, if you're, if you're not praying, I'd invite you to join us tonight, 6 o'clock. We're going to be praying down this end of the facility. And uh, we're going to probably walk throughout the facility and just pray for the different ministries of our church. And uh, it'll be a fun time together. We'll sing a little bit. And I would really encourage you to come and join us in prayer tonight. We'll be doing this regularly over the coming months, about every two to three weeks. Anyway, God can calm 
the roaring seas. David goes on, he says, so that, here's why, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. See, God stills the storms in part so that people will see how good he is. He stills the storms in your life so that people around you will see how good your God is. When others see God at work, they rejoice and they turn to him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 40, he put a new song in my mouth. See, I believe even when others see God at work in our church and they're here and they see us worship, that they'll come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, the psalmist writes in Psalm 40, and put their trust in the Lord. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. There's great joy in seeking God knowing that he hears our prayers, that he answers them. He forgives my sin way better than I deserve. He answers my prayers way better than I deserve. And he gives joy way better than I deserve. You know, I mentioned earlier, we're, um, we've been kind of a couple journeys here, this journey of a generous life, but also overarching this spring on a journey as a church called the 30 for 30 journey, where we're celebrating all that God has done in the last 30 years and trusting him for the next 30 And this verse reminds me a little bit of that journey, and here's why. Because as we go on this journey, we kind of have three uh, three outcomes we're we're trusting the Lord for, right? The first one, obviously, I mean, a real obvious one, a tangible one, is just being able to update our facility, make it uh, work better for ministry and more suitable for the ministries we have. Um, But there's more to it than that. The other is just wide participation, We want as many people in our church involved in this journey as possible. We want you to participate. What's that mean? You're like, I don't don't really have anything to give, Josh. Well, can you pray? Then you can participate. Can uh, Can you serve somehow with your time? Then you can participate. Can you use your talents somehow to serve the Lord and serve others and serve the church? Then guess what? You can participate. We're looking for wide participation. That's what we're praying for. If you're curious how, come talk to me. There will be an opportunity coming. I, don't, I know we keep talking about this, but I, we don't want you to be caught unaware, as Paul writes in, to the church in Corinth. There's coming a time in April where we'll invite you uh, with an opportunity to give. And uh, some of you, you're going to hear about uh, maybe some home visits that will start happening in the next few weeks with, with some of the leaders in our church. And all it is, is is just coming to explain the project to them. If, if you hear about that and you're not on that list, but you would like to be, our, our church is just too big to reach everyone. But if you'd like to have somebody just come take you out to dinner and tell you about the project, um, let us know. We'd be glad to. We'll work that out. But we'll be coming to 110 Groups too to explain it uh, later in March. But if you hear about that and you're like, oh, nobody called me. Well, call us then, all right? And we'll, we'll be glad to, to come to you. So, but there's a third outcome that we're hoping for. And this third outcome is joy. That's why I said this verse reminds me of this. Uh, you make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. See, when God answers prayer, because we're praying through this whole time too, there's great joy when he answers prayer, isn't there? There's incredible joy. And when we see him start to, to do things and be at work and what we're up to, and there's great joy in that. Would you trust him? Would you participate and, and receive some of that joy with us? See, if you don't participate, it's kind of hard. You're, you're going to be standing on the outside going, I feel kind of left out. And where's my joy? Well, participate. Join your church. Join us. 
We'd love to have you along for the journey. I really hope you will. And, and by the way, Jesus is at work here. Did you know that? We've had a lot of great things happening in our church. If you were just here last week, you heard a testimony from some, some new, a new family in our church. You saw uh, Brittany get baptized today. Fred and Abby sending them out as missionaries. Jesus is at work at Wawasee Bible. Amen? How's he at work in your heart and in your life? I'd love to hear about it. So he answers my prayers better than I deserve. God's really good at answering prayer. Let's keep reading verse 9 of Psalm 65. You visit the earth, he writes. Remember, this is a psalm written for the harvest festival, a song. You visit the earth and you water it. They're celebrating God's provision to them. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you've prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. This preaching series is is about moving toward a generous life, and it starts with seeing how generous our God is. And if you wanted a, a poetic illustration of how God is generous, here it is. Now, there's a chance you visit the earth and water it. Some think that that's actually a, a prayer that uh, saying, Lord, visit the earth and water it. Provide for us. And that's very possible. But it also expresses how God has provided for us. Tell me, what, you visit the earth and water it. You provide for it. But why would God do this? Well, because he loves us. Because of his love and his grace toward us. He cares, and by his very nature, he cannot quit caring about his people. He he visits the earth and he waters it. He greatly enriches it. In other words, um, he provides for all of our needs. Now, he has no need to visit us. He has no need to care for us, no need to enrich us, no need to give us abundant life, but we sure need it, don't we? And he gives that to us generously, And graciously, because he loves us. You are loved, as we like to say, by Jesus. Make no mistake, though, that that watering and enriching comes at a great price to him. Giving abundant life uh, cost Jesus his own perfect life on the cross. He died a criminal's death for my sin and yours. But he died not to stay dead, but to rise again, never to die again on the third day and provide hope for us in his resurrection to give us abundant life, anyone who would simply believe. The psalmist goes on, David goes on, he says, the river of God is full of water. That's a great statement. You know, I don't, you ever worry about your finances? You ever get a big bill in the mail or uh, you get a statement and you're like, oh no, I forgot about that one. You ever, you ever worry about it? Nobody? Just, just me? Okay. Well, <laughs> isn't this a great truth? God's river is full of water. It's, it's poetically saying God has everything I need. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns every resource he's ever given to me. Will I release it and allow him to give me more? I, I can trust him to provide for all my needs and to provide for them way better than I deserve. Because I don't know about you, but more often than not, God not only provides my needs, he provides my wants. Doesn't he? He provides my wants. You provide their grain. He gives us grace upon grace. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. 
He does that for us. That's why he's prepared it. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides everything to us to enjoy. That's part of the reason he gives to us, is so that we would have joy, that we would enjoy it. You make it a point to be thankful for God's gifts to you, your time, enjoying your days to the glory of God, your talent. Uh, The reason you're good at certain things is because God has enabled you to be good at certain things. And he takes delight when you use those gifts to his glory. Sometimes that's just working your job and doing a good job at work this week and not slacking off. God gets great joy in that and so do you. He's richly provided you also your treasure to enjoy. Um, He goes on, he says, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. What David's writing about here is he's saying, God drenches the plowed ground with water. Now somebody did the work to plow the ground, right? Somebody overturned the clods of dirt, they planted the seed, but now God's gonna make it grow. The downpour settles its ridges. It, it, It melts the clods of dirt in the ground. It softens with showers, making it suitable for these seeds to grow. And then he's the one who blesses its growth. Friends, whatever endeavor you're going through in your life, or even ministry endeavors for our church, like uh, the 30 for 30 journey, we've done a lot of work to prepare, to plow up the ground, to to be ready. But listen, if God doesn't send a downpour to soften the ground and, and make it happen, we're toast. What a waste of effort. He's the one who blesses us with growth. That's encouraging. What have you been working at? What have you been laboring at? Maybe at work, maybe in your family, raising kids, getting your finances in order. Um, Work hard, but then trust God to water the ground and make it grow. Pray to him with confidence that he would do it. The New Living Translation says that he drenches the plowed ground with grain. He melts the clods and levels the ridges. He softens the earth with showers and blesses its abundant crops. So God provides for me better than I deserve is what I see there because he blesses everything with growth. He gives me everything I need. But then finally, uh, the last thing I want you to see, these last three verses, 11 through 13, uh, 9 and 10, God provides better than I deserve, but also he prepares my future better than I deserve. Because of all the ways I've seen him provide for me and care for me and forgive my sin and answer my prayer, I can trust him for tomorrow. I can trust him for tomorrow. You Look at what it says in verse 11. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness, they overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and they sing together. More imagery here of God's generosity and how it results in joy. Uh, Friends, as we look to the future and growing to live a generous life, We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus because he's the one who does the work. He's the one who provides for us better than we deserve. You crown the year with bounty. Listen, 2017 will only be crowned as a good year if God blesses. That's the only way. The the next 30 years of our church will only be crowned with bounty if, if Jesus does the work. Do you believe that? Amen? So trust him. He paves 
my future better than I deserve. He prepares my future better than I deserve. And as I go about uh, my life then, remembering this, uh, I guess I want to leave you with a couple possible growth steps just as we wrap up this journey. Because big idea today is to see God's generosity to you, to trust him, both to forgive your sin, to provide for your needs, to answer your prayer, and to trust him for the future, whatever that might be, as you uh, learn to be more generous with your life. And a few possible growth steps. One, maybe you would spend some time in prayer over the next days and weeks, just studying more of what God's word says about his generosity to us. And our response to that generosity, dreaming, what would God's generosity dream be for you? How does he dream about you being generous with your time, talent, and treasure? Another one, maybe you just need to get in the game. It's time to start. It's time to quit just like like standing on the sidelines, watching, cheering everybody else on or critiquing everybody else and get some skin in the game. Maybe that's uh, with your time, your talent, or your treasure Take us if you've already if you're already engaged. Take a next step towards the next level of generosity. Maybe you'd sign up for Financial Peace University. That might help you on that journey. It begins this Thursday. Uh, and and finally, I would encourage you again participate with us in this journey, in in this thirty for thirty journey over the coming months and and really even potentially years if the Lord would bless. How can you participate? Well, you can participate. With prayer, you can join us tonight and pray for your church. Simply praying for the ministries of our church that that the Lord would would bless and the Lord would do the work, that he would empower what's happening here. Maybe you would give of your time and serve somewhere. Uh, You'd give of your talent. You'd join your church in giving of your resources so that one day you would be able to join your church in experiencing great joy. I believe that with my whole heart. I really hope you'll join us. With that, let me pray. We're going to take communion together, which is another reminder of God's grace to us. And uh, then we'll take our offering, we'll sing, and we'll close the morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Um, Thanks for your great generosity and grace toward us. Um, Lord, it's really true that you've provided for us in so many ways better than we deserve. Uh, As we'll sing here in a moment, you've given us more than we deserve. And uh, Father, I pray for those today who maybe have never experienced your grace. Might they turn to you in saving faith this morning and trust you and become a Christian. And for those of us who have, Father, might we grow in, in our response toward your generosity by being generous ourselves. Thanks for your grace to us. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.